Let's go, girls. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up with Beck and Franklin is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they've always dreamed of. Why live in black and white when you can choose the brilliance of 3D and Technicolor? Each week, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin and their high-powered guests will be here to cheer you on, to share their challenges, their successes, and what they've learned along the way. It's all about women supporting women. The stories and practical tips on sex, beauty, money, and so much more are designed to help you reconnect to the powerful woman you are. Fabulous knows no limits. Now it's time for you to expand your boundaries. Here are Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Dr. Kavitha Chanayan. Now, she has written a book called Shakti Rising, and I'm so excited for you guys to get a copy of this book. And if you want to follow along online, if you're listening while we're online, you can go to Kavitha, that's K-A-V as in Victor, I-T-H-A-M-D, like doctor, KavithaMD.com, where you can see her meditation courses, her gut quiz. You can look at some of her publications, watch her videos. You can meet her. But we're going to meet her on the show today, and we're going to talk about what happened to her one morning, more than a decade ago, when she had an experience that changed her life. Kavitha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sandra. It's so nice to have you here. And I want to know what happened to you. What what changed you? What changed your life that, that shifted your perspective in such a profound way? Well, you know, I, uh, I was like a lot of other women, um, basically living my life the way it was taught to me and what um, had been what I had learned from society and from uh, growing up in a particular culture and from my parents and from my upbringing on on how my life should turn out so I was living everybody else's dream and chasing this you know goal that never seemed to arrive because it was one thing after another. Okay, now I have to uh, go after a career and now I have to get married and next I have to have children, next I have to have it all. And, you know, it is this go, go, go kind of a mindset that many of us may be familiar with. And um, it was exhausting. So, um, and and what I found, uh, you know, is that even when I had my cherished cherished career. Uh, I had a wonderful husband, had two beautiful children. Even then, that nagging sense of seeking had not stopped. It, it was like I was perpetually seeking something and it hadn't really abated. And so that morning, what happened was I had, you know, it was just another day. I had woken up early and I was just going about uh, the kitchen doing my chores and I had this very intense vision of where my life was headed and that it was headed into this place where I, one fine day I would wake up as a middle-aged woman. And of course, I would have pretty much everything I had wanted, but then I would still be deeply unfulfilled because it, I would feel like I had missed the most important thing of my life. 
And so what I realized that day is that what I was really seeking, what I really wanted was to stop seeking, was to stop, stop searching. So that was a huge revelation and that really changed the course of, you know, what was to come thereafter. Well, I think many of us have felt like this. You know, we live in a society where more is better and right. sometimes more is just more. And, you know, when I got into my 40s, uh, Kavitha, I I looked around and I'm like, well, I've got cars. Do I need more cars? I have a big house. Do I need a bigger house? So I got another house and, and it was just another house. And, you know, I had children and dogs and a husband, now an ex-husband. And I think once you get to a point when you recognize more is just more and it's not fulfilling. Yeah that's where that turn is. And I think it hits us all at, you know, maybe different points in our life or different times. And we have to honor and listen to that voice that says, hey, more is just more. And this is not getting you what you want. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. And you you say it so well. That's that's really it, is that more is not better. <laughs> Well, and as women, you know, you look at you, I'm highly educated, you're highly educated, we're, we're successful, we have the vision, I think, of many people that we quote, have it all, you know, you're yes. pretty, you're smart, you're educated, you're affluent, you've got children, you've got all the Lego pieces, if you will. So why aren't you happy? Exactly. And, and that is, that is the thing is, what does having it all actually mean? And, and you know, I've really reflected on this uh, over the course of my life is, I mean, who, having it all according to who, you know, who defines these kinds of things? And uh, how do we define ourselves based on everybody else's expectations of what it means to have it all? And, and so we can have it all, and yet why aren't we fulfilled? And why are we always on the go? So, I mean, all of these questions that, you know, you're, you said so wisely that a lot of us have, <laughs> and um, whether or not we listen to it is another well, I thing. I want to tell you a funny story. I don't know if you had sisters and brothers growing up, but I grew up in a big family, not of any means, not of any, you know, special anything. And to keep costs down, my when we would go out to dinner, which was very rare, my parents would say, everybody gets water because, you know, when you look at like eight or 10 drinks adding up, you know, that could be the price of a meal right there. So yeah. when I went off to college and I was talking to my sister on the phone one day, I said, oh, I went on this date and he said, what do you want to drink? And I couldn't answer because I didn't know the drinks on the menu. I hadn't had, you know, all the sodas or the drinks out there. I didn't even know what to ask. And that was such a profound uh, moment for me, Kavitha, because up until then, it was either no or here's what you do. Here's what you order. Here's what you think. Here's what you here's what good girls do. Here's what you know, our culture tells us to do. This is what our religion tells us to do. And everything was kind of mapped out for me. So when it came to the point of me having a free choice, yeah, I was stumped because I didn't have, I had never developed that muscle. And as silly as it was, it was just, you know, do you want a soda or a glass of wine? You know, and what did I do? I ordered water. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> 
Yes, yeah, so th- so that's a, that's such a great example of how we how we imprison ourselves, um, you know, based on what we have learned. And uh, you know, one big motivation for me to write this book was, uh, you, you know, learning uh, the definition of a goddess and who defines the goddess just like you know the expectations we have of ourselves we also have expectations of what the goddess must be like you know especially the divine feminine because um i mean think about it we women don't really have any standards for ourselves right all the standards we have have been created by men for us uh, standards of beauty and standards of what it means to be a woman good and what it means to be virtuous and so on and so forth. And so we project these kinds of qualities onto the goddess and, and we have these unreasonable um, standards for the goddess as well. I mean, she's exceedingly beautiful, uh, exceedingly powerful and, uh, you know, is a great lover, great wife, etc., etc. All these things that that, you know, suspiciously are not really our standards, you know? Well, no <laughs> because, there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you exactly. Know, smart, you know, a wonderful homemaker. And in exactly. many cases, the breadwinner on top of, <laughs> and then we must be a size zero, you know, so we can fit into unreasonable clothing standards. I mean, it's it's a little bit, you wouldn't believe it if you put it in a TV show. Like that's the thing that's always struck me with this kind of concept, Kiffy, that if, if we were to draw a character, you know, like Barbie, and then we made Barbie, um, you know, a rocket scientist and then Barbie yes. up every morning and made breakfast and took care of kids and dogs and had the house whipped up like Elizabeth Montgomery and bewitched, you know, yes, <laughs> you would go, I don't believe that character. That character is so fake like nobody can do that but yet yes. that's what we expect that's exactly right that's exactly right and 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 so you know it was it was a turning point for me then to really sit down and and contemplate on you know hey wait who am i really you know uh, if i removed all the labels of being a daughter and a mother and a wife and and a doctor and so on and so forth who am i you know, what's left when you remove all the roles and the labels? And so that really led me down this, this path of self-discovery and finding Shakti, uh, the divine feminine. And, um, and, and especially in her 10 forms, which are fierce, you know, uh, fierce forms that are not really popular in our culture because they defy the norms of beauty and and what we think should be feminine. And so exploring those those 10 forms of Shakti was very revealing for me and that that became this book. Oh, I can't wait. I mean, I can't wait to discuss this with you because it's like one to another. You know, the the expectations are so unreasonable. And then when you actually become yourself or you share yourself, a lot of times it falls into that category of, oh, that wasn't very ladylike. Oh, that wasn't very X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, how could that be part of you? And, you know, it's like we kind of have to have this reconnecting. Um, I use Legos a lot in my analogy, probably because I raised boys. Um, <laughs> but we 
we put all our Legos together in a certain way as an adult. And there's a lot of it that has to be broken down and made into something new. And that's what we're going we're gonna to do after the break. We're visiting today with Dr. Kavitha Chanayan. And you can find her at kavithamd.com. Her book is Shakti Rising. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about these um, what does it mean to be the divine feminine? And these ten, um, these ten uh, parts of her book, Shakti. We'll be back after the break. We've got some more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live la bella vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. offer wonderfully wild and wacky summer foods. From chicken fried bacon in Texas to Minnesota spaghetti and meatballs on a stick. There is something about dining at the fair that can make anyone an opsomaniac or a person who is driven to the point of madness by food. State fairs are famous for their loverwort or food with no nutritional value. The California State Fair boasts fried Krispy Kreme chicken sandwiches. That's fried chicken and Swiss cheese tucked into a Krispy Kreme donut served with a side of honey sauce. At the Iowa State Fair, you can enjoy a hot beef sundae. That's a big scoop of mashed potatoes over roast beef, covered with gravy, sprinkled with cheddar cheese, and garnished with a cherry tomato to look like a sundae. What's another word for messy food? Ma Wella. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm visiting today with Dr. Kavitha Chanayan. And her book, Shakti Rising, talks about embracing shadow in light on the goddess path to wholeness. Now, that all sounds really good, um, uh, Kavitha, but... Let's define a goddess first, because whether we take Barbie or the Kardashians or Jane Fonda, you know, there's there's these people that are set up in our culture and, you know, or Mother Mary. I mean, we've got all these different goddess figures, Venus, the goddess of love. I mean, what is a goddess and how do we 
identify with that that person when it's not a TV figure we see, you know, publicized in the media? Yeah, that that is it's a fabulous question because that is precisely, you know, that was one of uh, one of the questions that I delved deeply into myself for a long time, which is what attracted me to uh, Shakti in the first place, because uh, in these particular forms of Shakti, 10 different forms of Shakti really defy those norms. And uh, for instance, Kali is one of them. And if, if you're familiar with Kali, you know, um, she's this very fierce goddess um, you see her, she has bloodshot eyes, wild hair, and, you know, has a garland of skulls and holds a human head in her hands. And she's standing on top of Shiva, her spouse. And, you know, it appears to be that she's in a cemetery surrounded by corpses. So there is nothing of the conventional definition of a goddess with her. And yet... There are few goddesses that have, you know, really shifted the, the, the collective subconscious of goddess worshippers like Kali has because she defies all those definitions and brings out what is truly authentic in us. Um, so I, I, think, I think the, the real question in my mind is not what defines a goddess, but who defines a goddess? And um, unfortunately, in our society, which is extremely patriarchal, the uh, definition of a goddess comes from patriarchy, you know, of what men think the goddess must be like, you know, their definitions of beauty and power and, uh, you know, what a woman should be, which is ideally subservient to the male. Mm. <laughs> and and this is not how you know uh, these ten forms of the divine feminine um, port are portrayed, and there is a reason for that. And so, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, anymore if there is a definition of the feminine. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. I mean, what is femininity? You know, and I, I look at this because, you know, Kavitha, I have uh, a bunch of shows. I have Dynamic Women Talk Radio. I have Coach Talk Radio. I have Powered Up, obviously, Talk Radio, Military Mom and Motherhood. And all of those have the different goddess kind of image. You know, if you're a coach, you're wise, you're you're loving, you're stern, you're directive. I've got my military moms who are resilient and, and you know, uh, hold it all together, the Wonder Women. And then you've got motherhood, which embraces every aspect of motherhood, good, bad, and indifferent. But right then and there, we've got every woman and then distinct warrior women or nurturer women. I mean, the concept of femininity, I, I, I couldn't define it other than, you know, prosaically, like it means you have ovaries. Like beyond that, the, it's the wide gamut of everything. Yes, that's that's precisely it. It's it's everything and um, and things that are tangible and things that are not tangible. And I think that that is really the key, isn't it, is. Uh, what does it and 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 on the on the spiritual path for me at least opening to the feminine has been about embracing all parts of myself you know not pushing away 
my shadows, my, you know, weaknesses and, and try to pretend that they don't exist or that, or trying to embody somebody else's concept of a goddess to cover up any, any sense of lack within myself. But it was, it's really to discover authentically really the root of my own identity. And that has been really, you know, my experience of opening to the feminine has been that total honesty and vulnerability at the same time. Well, and I think that's something, you know, I watched, um, you know, Wonder Woman, like like most of America here. And, and yes. you, know, you saw her as so strong. And, you know, I see when I do these shows, I always get really confused. I, I draw myself into big circles because when I see femininity, to me, femininity is like this dichotomy of incredible strength, you know, the strength of childbirth, the strength of managing a household, multitasking children, parents, and, and a husband, and, and dogs and cats, and, you know, the goldfish that needs to be fed. And then I look at femininity as vulnerability and, you know, the the woman who needs the protection of the man. And then it all goes to pot because I feel like I just dumped all this in a pot and mixed it up and made a brown stew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that about sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I applaud you for making like some, some headway out of this mix because I don't, when I look at Victorian literature and sometimes I'll watch the Hallmark channel, like that's my guilty pleasure. I like to watch the Hallmark channel movies because everybody comes out happy in the end. And even though there's some trauma, like, you know, some mine explodes and, you know, hardly anybody dies and the dog always lives and the boy finds his dog, you know, they're, they're little, <laughs> you know, heartwarming yeah. stories to me, but it does warp the concept of what is, it, what does it mean to you, Kavitha, to be feminine? You know, for me, it is it is a uh, fearlessness of of being completely and totally myself. And and what that means is, you know, a lot of us really don't understand the the meaning of intimacy because. We are afraid to show, for instance, I mean, this is just an example of, of you know, uh, at least one of the examples I can bring up in terms of what it means to be feminine for me is, in my case, you know, what I have observed is that we are always trying to project an image of what we want others to see. You know, when it comes to our personas, and what we would like for people to see in terms of, uh, you know, who we think we are. And, and we kind of live in this approval trap. You know, we are waiting to, to, for approval from others around us and importantly from our own selves. You know, and all of these things, uh, this this issue of gaining approval from others or from ourselves comes from an image we have built up of who we think we are. And that comes from what we have learned from our parents and from our culture and from our upbringing and from our peers and, you know, the internet, <laughs> you name it. And, and so we've created a 
a, you know, a very fragile kind of a persona that needs to be constantly defended. And it needs to be protected by our own defenses, our own justifications and validations of why we think in certain ways and why we act in certain ways and why we can't change. And we justify all of this on a moment-to-moment basis. And most of us live our lives like this, not even thinking about it. And so when we are, when we are caught in that, our, our life is one of seeking necessarily because it comes from a sense of lack, of, of pushing away those dark aspects of ourselves that we don't want to understand, that we'd rather not think about, that we, we hope will just go away if we don't think about it, and really focusing only on what we think is, the, is desirable. Oh, that's and a so, lot of work. I mean, on top of living. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired just thinking about, you know, because I was thinking about when you said that, it's like you can see what people present. They control their presentation or their public persona on social media, you oh, know, yeah. and they the way they take their pictures or the way they, you know, write, you know, and it's. It's funny because one something that happened to me this week, and I'd love your take on it. I was talking to a, a, I'm single, and I'm a mother of two kids, and I was talking to a guy I found really attractive, but I forgot to put on like the hair, the makeup, the persona, the whatever that he had been exposed to on the internet. And I said, oh, you know, I got to wash my hair, and and he said, oh, really? And I said, yeah, it's like you know, my head of hair is kind of like having a dog that lives on my head, and I have to brush it, <laughs> clean it. And I didn't even think about what I said. And then it was just like dead quiet on the phone. And then <laughs> like, well, we got to work on your presentation, you know, and then I thought about it and I'm like, that was the real me right there. Like I recognize my head is a certain tool I use for business and media and, you know, hair is a, 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 a you know, a prop, if you will. But yeah. the reality of it is it does feel like a big germ or like a big golden retriever sitting on my head, especially on a hot day. <laughs> and that was definitely not sexy. It was definitely not, you know, attractive or professional or any of these things. So when we come back from the break, I want to talk about that because we're like as is who we are as women, who we are at that moment, because that to me was all me. Like that wasn't any pretense, any anything. Um, yeah. But when we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about this um, with uh, Dr. Kavitha Shanayan. And we're going to talk about this concept of femininity because it does shift the perception of whatever environment we're in, who we're with what role we're playing, mother, lover, um, employee, warrior, uh, designer, artist, you name it, all of these things come into play. If you like what you're hearing today, check out KavithaMD.com. Her book, Shakti Rising, is available wherever books are sold. And we'll be back after the break talking more with Dr. Uh, Kavitha Chanayan about femininity. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be back after the break. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. This is for all you girls about 42. Tossing pennies into the fountain of youth. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Salt is in nearly everything we eat, and many times it makes food taste so delicious. Even though the 2010 Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommends limiting sodium to less than 2,300 milligrams a day, Men's Health Magazine states that the average American takes in about 3,300 milligrams of sodium every single day. Your body needs some sodium to function properly because it helps transmit nerve impulses. It influences the contraction and relaxation of muscles, and it helps maintain the right balance of fluids in your body. But most of us are getting far more sodium than is recommended. Check out the sodium content in the foods you are eating and limit soy sauce, Parmesan cheese, bacon, smoked salmon, ramen noodles, and salami. It's time to kick the habit of too much sodium. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's merging Did you know one-third of population suffers from bad breath? Several years ago, a New York City doorman was actually suspended from work because people were complaining about his bad breath. Other words for foul-smelling breath are halitosis and ozostomia. So, what are common causes of ozostomia? Coffee is a problem because it's very acidic, and bacteria reproduce faster in an acid environment. Candy and gum contain sugar, which is also a problem because sugar feeds the bacteria that cause bad breath. Alcohol is another culprit. What's another name for cheap wine? Plonk, slip slop, or stinky bus. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your word words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's some more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. This is for all you girls about 42. Hey, ladies. Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Dr. Kavitha Chanayan, and she wrote the book Shakti Rising, and the discussion on the table today is femininity. What is feminine? And when we think of femininity, we can't help but think of attracting a spouse or a mate or presenting ourselves to the public. And um, we were talking before the commercial break about me just being me and saying, you know, my big mop of blonde hair is like having a golden retriever on my head. And I thought about it, uh, Kavitha, because somebody might find that funny. Somebody might find it offensive. Somebody might find it a real turnoff. Somebody might find it a turn on. So we're back to where we started of what is feminine and you know, should I have judged myself by that offhand comment? But that really was about as honest as I could be at that moment. No, no, I don't think you should have judged should yourself. Have and I don't think judging uh, ourselves, I, I mean, don't we do that enough? Uh, I think it's about time we stop judging ourselves. So, but but the key here is is that you were yourself and you were vulnerable and you were open to intimacy and if the other person isn't there in your place, then that's their problem. It's not yours. And, and, but you, were, you always have to live according to your authentic you know, place where you are in that moment. And this is 
really what I'm learning as well as I go along my life and is to really be a, a rooted in authenticity no matter what anybody else is thinking. As long as I'm not really harming anyone, as long as I'm not causing anybody else's pain and I'm just being me and completely open and vulnerable to intimacy in every moment, not with just people, but with myself, with nature, with the environment. And I'm open to having my heart be open. Well, what does that really mean? Um, you know, we hear these terms like, you know, heart open, heart centered, vulnerable intimacy. I mean, truly, we live in an environment where everything is posted on social media. So that gives me a confusion on what intimacy is or not and shared intimacy. But yeah. also there's like a dividing line between texting and digital and um, to me, intimacy. And I, I don't really know what that looks like anymore. I know, and I, I hear you. And, you know, the uh, if only everything that was posted on social media w was true or authentic or, <laughs> or um, any of the above, uh, we know it isn't. And, and again, uh, social media becomes another platform for where we can project what people want to see of us or what we want people to see of us and not really be authentic in our dealings. But, you know, true intimacy in this in this having the heart hope open kind of an issue, uh, kind of a state or being open is to really be open to every possibility in every moment. And, and that means not really wanting a specific outcome. So going through life in kind of uh, a really uh, a, a divinely ordained kind of a life where it's it's okay everything is okay every person i meet is teaching me something there are no accidents and i'm perfectly open to being completely open with them whether or not they want that i have to remain true to my you know myself so it's like being who i am regardless of what anybody else thinks and um it, it, it's not easy. And trust me, the, the instinct is to shut down and, and to not let people see sides of me that they, I'd rather not have them see. But, but that's where it takes courage uh, to be vulnerable. And, and when I say vulnerable, it means uh, not defending. Not always, you know, you know how we are always defending our viewpoints. We are always defending who we think we are, we are always in defense of that ego, of that identity. And so being vulnerable is to keep that aside and see what happens. Okay, I, I can work with that. I can work with that. And I, I see how, you know, recently one of my friend's mothers died and she posted a lot on Facebook and allowed us to love her and support her. And, you know, in the background, there were people, you know, a couple chippers that were saying things like, like, can you believe that she puts this up on Facebook? And I'm like, well, she's asking for what she needs. We're supporting her. And I thought it was very brave and vulnerable. It wasn't, they weren't exploitative posts. They were painful posts to read and look and you know, watch and, and, you know, we could share in a community that was digital, even though we're in all, you know, different places around the world. And 
when I look at the concept of heart open, I think you're right that it's an individual choice because it's very easy to close off your heart and to buy into your own social media profile, for lack of a better um, example. It's just easier to shut off. It's easier to, but then you miss the good stuff. And I think as a parent, you know, one of the things that I found having kids, and I have boys, and they're, you know, elementary school age and, and uh, high school. I got a freshman in high school. Yeah. Is, boy, it is hard to be disauthentic when you have two little watchdogs around, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want to bust yourself out of any fakeness. Have kids. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Because they will, they'll call you on everything, but mom, you said this, but mom, you did yeah. this. <laughs> and it's, it's like having two little reflecting pools around you at all times. But, you know, the funny thing is, is in teaching my kids to be heart open, I think it's a big challenge these days to be heart open in a world that is photographing your every move and also filled with fear because we have these events going on around the world and you know, that's our kids normal. It's not my normal. I don't know if it was your normal. I don't know where or how you were raised, but I was raised in the country and you know, we would watch the corn grow. We, we didn't watch bombings. We didn't watch, you know, a lot of the things that kids are exposed to today. So yeah, be absolutely heart open in a fear-based world in a changing world is I think much harder for me than for my kids because this is their normal. It's a new normal for me. Yeah, I agree. And and it's it's so true, you know, and this is something I struggle with also as a mother uh, because it's, you know, it's for me to live in, in, a, in one way is, is easier because of my life experiences and my own intense, uh, you know, spiritual quest and 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 desire for self-discovery which they had don't they haven't had yet and so to transmit this is actually very difficult particularly because we live in a world that is very cynical have you noticed that it's oh, very right. cynical and there is no wonder and amazement for things anymore and um that is the number one thing that I find, you know, in, in, in children uh, of, of uh, the age of my, my children who are teenagers is everything is very cynical. And, um, and so to, for them to develop this, this kind of wonder about even, you know, the miracle of waking up in the morning, uh, the miracle of the breath, the miracle of the body, of the, of the joints moving in particular ways of the ability to, to taste, the ability to see colors, the ability to hear things and to discern things and, and to make intelligent choices. I think each of this is a huge miracle. And for me, it is absolutely filled with wonder. But, to, but it is not so in this day and age where um, for, for various reasons, we have all become kind of sarcastic. Um, because overexposure perhaps is one thing and, um, and the culture itself, you know, and, and as you say, there's so much fear and so much, uh, divisiveness also that, that kind of takes away from the wonder of just living. 
And um, and I, I too, you know, struggle with this because I didn't grow up in a culture like this of, of bombings and violence. But despite that, you know, I, I try my best to, as and as you say, you know, my kids keep me really rooted in authenticity because they're like, you said uh, the other day when we were talking about X, Y, Z, you said A, B, C, and uh, how are you contradicting yourself? So it's it's a it takes constant conversations. I mean, we are always talking about this, and I'm always pointing out, uh, you know, and and being vulnerable with them and being okay with being vulnerable with them. I don't want them to think that their mother is strong when I'm not or that I'm fearless when I'm not, and I'm, I'm okay. I need them to know that it's okay to be afraid sometimes. It's okay to be weak sometimes. It's okay, and it's okay to be who you are. And, and so I think that is a struggle. I agree with you. I think it's a, a big struggle because, you know, if I'm struggling it, you know, after 40, you know, in being authentic and who I am and okay with, with the way I am or the way I've, I've created my life, you know, how can I expect my kids? But I think, you know, part of that veneer that we have to pull back, like the Wizard of Oz curtain, you know, when they pulled back that curtain, we saw the Wizard of Oz and he's turning those dials and the flames are going up and it was all this big show. Um, yeah. We need to relate that with so much today. And we are going to do that. We're going to do that after the break. We're going to talk about, you know, what I call the Wizard of Oz effect. Um, you know, not to mention femininity and, and but also authenticity, because I do believe they go hand in hand. We're yes. visiting today with author of Shakti Rising, Dr. Kavitha Shanayan, and we can find her at Kavitha, that's K-A-V-I-T-H-A-M-D.com. We will be back at the break. She also has a book coming out in 2018. It's called The Heart of Wellness. Yes. Yes, The Heart of Wellness, so you're not going to want to miss that. Shakti Rising is the book of the hour. We'll be back after the break with more from Kavitha Janayan, MD. I can't wait. And we're going to talk more about her kids and my kids and the Wizard of Oz effect. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. 
To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. year, the United States Postal Service successfully ships over 160 billion packages of letters with bills traveling through the mail at twice the speed of checks. Automated sorting machines read zip codes and directs the mail to the proper destination. But last year, they failed to read some 2.4 billion pieces of mail, all because of cacography. That's bad handwriting. So what happens to all that errant mail? The post office hires more than 700 postal clerks to decipher the most difficult ones. When a sorting machine discovers an illegible address, it scans and sends a digital image to the clerk's computers. Amazingly, the average clerk can crack the code in just three seconds. Not everyone can keep up, though, as management at the post office is always pushing the envelope. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm visiting today with Dr. Kavitha Shanayan, and we are talking about femininity. We're talking about authenticity, and I want to bring in the concept of what I call the Wizard of Oz effect, and I know the Wizard of Oz is, you know, kind of quoted to death about things, but there really is no better visual image than the wizard when Dorothy pulls back the curtain, and the wizard, I think she pulls it back, I can't remember who pulls it back, but he's there, and he's spinning these wheels, and the fire's going, and the voice is booming, and it's just this little old man behind the curtain. And I try to teach my kids, Kavitha, and I talk to them about everybody at some level is the wizard. We've got the public persona. We've got the dating persona. We've got the um, professional persona. We've got the soccer mom persona. And, you know, it doesn't make us all liars. You know, we're like multifaceted diamonds. We, we, we cannot show everyone all things at all times. So we, we give people glimpses of parts of who we are. And so when the curtain is pulled back, we start to see the person in a different light. Now, in The Wizard of Oz, it was a very diminishing image. But the reality is when we pull back the curtain on ourselves and other people, we have to recognize and have compassion and understanding for who that person is at that moment in time and where they are on their growth level. It doesn't always mean negative or nefarious or, you know, I think of when I was pregnant with my second son, who's 10 years old now. Kavitha, I was having a really bad day. I was like eight months pregnant. Everything was swollen beyond belief. My hair looked like a rat's nest. And some lady came to the door to drop something off. And I could barely waddle to the door. Like I was miserable. And she took one look at me and she was horrified. And then like a year later, I ran into her and I said, oh, we've met. Um, Her name's Sandy. I said, Sandy, we've met before. You came to my house. And she goes, that was you? Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I wasn't at my best, but, but the fact is that was to me a Wizard of Oz effect moment. 
Like you might see me and meet me, Kavitha, on a radio show. You might see me at a public event. My hair is done and all those things. But both of those are me. And neither of them has more value. Like they're just the curtain. And I love your take on that. Yeah, I I love this analogy. I'm going to use it with my kids. Um, But um, what you say is is really, uh, you know, there are so many gems in there. Because uh, there was one thing you said, which is it was a very diminishing effect. You know, there was this larger-than-life persona, and then the curtain is pulled back, and there is this, you know, there is this unknown person doing whatever. And... And, but that's not how it is on the journey of self-discovery. On the journey to self-discovery, what happens is who we thought we were, we come to find that it is much larger, much more spectacular than we could have ever created out of our stories. You know, the the personas, the the roles that we play, um, they are all these, these beautiful diamonds, as you say, but who we really are surpasses all of that because our, our fundamental nature is one of absolute joy and peace and love. You know, love is who we really are. That is our true identity. And so all these, these roles that come, they don't diminish with that. They all become infused with that love. So we, we take on those roles with this kind of, you know, uh, what my teacher calls joyful irony, which means you know you're playing a role. You're, you know you're an actor, but you know, you're playing the role, but you know that who I am is really not that. So you play that role with perfection and with, with beauty and with, uh, with joy, but not really get you know, attached to it and, and get limited by it. So we can play all the roles that we want, and still, you know, remain completely conscious that who we are is not limited to that. So it's, it's a little bit of that curtain pulling back, but it's not a diminishing one. It is one of really elevating that, that whole aspect of that journey to self-discovery. So, uh, and then what happens here is, you know, like r- regarding teaching children, is is how do we go about teaching them that, listen, you're not the roles that you play. You play your roles. You know, you be the student, you be the, you know, uh, the friend or whatever roles you're playing. But come to see that, you know, that's not who you really are. So that is the challenge here in, in you know, for me at least, in uh, in trying to relay that, 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 experience of beauty and of uh, and of joy in words because no word can do justice to that no and i think that that's where we get in trouble um using the word femininity and i'm not I'm not saying this in a negative way but you know when we try to define the human spirit, the soul, the heart, the mind, the body, like this is a big undertaking. And yes, we divide, you know, in order to communicate, we have to have words, we have to have labels, we have to have things that facilitate communication between us. So we, we use these heavy handed clunky words like femininity to, to, to 
you know, kind of identify this wide swath of of choices, behaviors, looks, um, desires, feelings, emotions, like you name it, thoughts. Um, yeah. So I, I recognize that because I think what you've taken on is this monumental undertaking, um, but allowing us to embrace the shadow and, and the light, like that's really important to me because when we go through life, we have times when we are in darkness. We have times when we are in light. Well, we are still the same being. Exactly. That's it. That's, that's precisely it. I love that. I love that. Um, so, yeah, that's it. And, and we don't need to push away our shadows. We don't need to push away all of those things. The thing is, you know, when we embrace them, when we embrace our shadows, they, the energy of that becomes transmuted into, into sweetness. And so they, they stop being shadows paradoxically when we embrace them. Is it, and, and that is really hard to understand until we actually do that, you know. Uh, when Once we stop pushing things away and we just allow it to be, they, they just get transformed absolutely absolutely you know because people everyone will face darkness people will face dark times they will face sadness and you know television exploits that for 30 minutes but doesn't really allow us to sit with it long enough for it to transmute as you put it so beautifully into sweetness because it will even the sad dark moments of your life and I can tell you I had a lot of sad dark moments with my divorce with my mom dying went through a foreclosure all of these things happened like waves you know they kept rolling in wave after wave after wave and at the time I could only see the darkness but coming out on the other side of that I see how I'm more compassionate I'm more understanding I'm more wise I'm not saying I have wisdom but I'm definitely wiser than I was (laughs) going into these scenarios um and all that goes into the goddess that goes into the femininity that goes into the soul and the heart openness which before was the way i kind of was made because i was a very happy kid and a very happy so when something bad happened to me i didn't know what to do with it and now i recognize that to be heart open after walking this earth for more than 40 years is truly a choice oh yes Yes. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's precisely it. So that's so lovely. Well, and I think it's important, you know, when you have kids and you have relationships and you are in this, um, you are walking this planet to really think about how do I choose to be today? What do I choose to, to how do I choose to show up today? Right. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the, the thing is, at every and at any given moment, we have the choice. You know, what is it going to be? You know, which way is it going to be? Is it going to be the same old conditioned, patterned way of thinking, or can I be open to something new right now? And, you know, that is that, that power of vulnerability, is to let go of our learning and to be open to new possibilities. I'm just writing that down because there's, there's so many things on here that I like the languaging because these are really tough concepts 
to talk about with people and to talk about and to think about because they're really big concepts and you know that languaging having the language to talk about the power of vulnerability and to define it or to define intimacy in a whole new world allows us to have a greater understanding oh yes i agree i agree that's what happens when you get two eggheads together and you talk about embracing the shadow and light. <laughs> the goddess <laughs> we have to define everything before we can talk about it. But we really <laughs> do. Because if I said intimacy, I could come up with five different interpretations of intimacy that would either negate, refute, or support our discussion. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, um, and, and you know, uh, as soon as we say intimacy, we start thinking about relationships, but actually it's, it's, uh, it doesn't even have to be with anybody else. You know, it is this intimacy of opening right now, you know, to the current experience, wherever we may be, you know, in traffic, maybe at home, we may be cooking, we may be running around doing whatever, but can we be completely open to it? And allow it to saturate us and, and bathe us in that experience. And see, most of us go through life without really actually touching most experiences, except the most profound ones that we remember. That something happened to me when I saw that sunset, you know, because we allowed it to touch us. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the intimacy. I love that. Dr. Kavitha Shanayan, her book, Shakti Rising. We'll be back again next week with another great episode. We're so glad you joined us for Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Sandra Beck, Los Angeles-based single mother and technology company owner, knows what it's like to be fit, funny, and fantastic in your 40s. Linda Franklin, a New Yorker with a successful marriage and prominent